0: Today's reading is from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 14 to 26, which is on page 1196 of the Church Bibles. That's 2 Timothy, chapter 2, starting at verse 14. Dealing with false teachers. Keep reminding God's people of these things. Warn them before God against quarrelling about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hermanius and Philetus, who have departed from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place, and they destroy the faith of some. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription, the Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. In a large house there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes and some for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master and prepared to do any good work. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil, who has taken them captive to do his will. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen.
1: Thank you, Jean, for reading that passage, and we are continuing on in our series in 2 Timothy. The series title is Don't Drop the Baton. The baton is the gospel. The gospel has been handed from Paul to Timothy. Timothy will hand it to others who have handed it on until it reached us, and we must hand it on to others to keep the race continuing when we are gone. Now, this is halfway through chapter 2, and... It's quite interesting because the first um, verse says, keep reminding. So we need to um, remind ourselves of what the first half of Chapter 2 said before we obviously move on into the second half of this chapter. Now, uh, last week, Bart talked about the manner of the leaders ministry. And he said, or well, Paul says through the letter, we, if we're leaders, are to be like soldiers, we're to be like athletes or farmers. Now, I could update that and say maybe we should be like military pilots. Now, obviously, airplanes didn't exist in uh, Paul's time, but he could use that image. And interestingly, when the um, U.S. Constitution was written in the 18th century, there were no planes either. And did you know the President Joe Biden is only Commander-in-Chief of the Army and Navy, not technically of the U.S. Air Force? And talking of the U.S. Air Force, I'm looking forward to seeing Top Gun 2. Are you? Have you seen it? Have you seen it yet? Hands up if you've seen it. Right, don't tell me I haven't seen it yet. I've prepared myself, though. I watched Top Gun 1 a few weeks ago, and I was uh, struck by the opening part of the film, which uh, particularly uh, the interaction between these two individuals. Um, The first one on the left is Commander Tom Stinger Jardian, and the one on the right, you all know, is Pete Maverick Mitchell from Top Gun. And in um, in the opening part of the film, the F-14 fighters, U.S. fighters on the um, on the Enterprise, are being called into action to fly into the danger zone because foreign fighter planes have entered U.S. airspace and they're going close to U.S. warships, and the fighters have been sent out to um, get rid of them. And they must follow the rules of engagement, the rules of engagement, because this is the Cold War, but the The two sets of planes are not at war with each other, but they've got to deal with each other and they've got to follow rules of engagement. And the commander is constantly reminding um, Tom Cruise to follow the rules of engagement. He's worried that Tom Cruise will get too close to the foreign planes, he'll try out some new maneuvers to see if they work, and he might act in an aggressive way. All the commander wants is for the fighter pilots to meet the other jets, gently turn them around and guide them back to where they should be. He doesn't want escalation. He wants the confrontation to be avoided. He wants things to be peaceful. He wants to stop things happening. These these contacts are unavoidable, it's a cold war, but he doesn't want things to get worse. Now it's very similar in a way to what's going on between um, Paul and Timothy. Um, Paul is telling Timothy there will be unavoidable contacts, encounters with opponents of the gospel. And he needs Timothy to be aware of the rules of engagement, just like Maverick was aware of the rules of engagement. Timothy should be aware of the rules of the engagement here because these contacts are unavoidable. They're going to happen, you've got to handle them properly, stop them from escalating. So that's what we're looking at today, the rules of engagement, and I think it would be a good time to pray. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we bow in your presence. May your word be our rule, your spirit our teacher, and your greater glory our supreme concern. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Now we know, and Bart told us this last week, that the letter of Timothy... Two is to a leader of the church, and some of you are thinking, "It's probably not to do with me. I can switch off, you know. Maybe it has something to do with leaders in terms of PCC or home group leaders or leaders of small groups. but I can switch off. I can go back into the clouds with Tom Cruise for the rest of the sermon." No, you can't. You've got to come down to earth with me, and um, we've got to look at this because, as Bart rightly reminded us, um, it does show us of um, what leaders should do, what the mission is for the church that these leaders are in charge of, and it helps us to know what to expect from leaders and how to pray as well. So although you may not have a position of responsibility at this time, this letter is still relevant to you. So let's get to it. Let's look at these. I love post-it notes. Do you love post-it notes? Yeah, they help us remember things, remind us to do things or to you know, keep pieces of information. Paul says to Timothy, remind them. Remind them of what? Well, he's saying, remind them of the message we heard last week. Remind Christians all disciples of Christ are going to suffer in this life and receive glory later. Remind them of that. Don't let them lose that truth. Anyone who says differently is in error, and you need to be careful of them. You need to avoid them. So Paul is reminding Timothy to remind the church he's in charge of to remember suffering before glory. Remind them in verse 14, but also warn them. He says, warn them before God of the seriousness of quarreling. Okay, Do not um, engage in quarrels. The Greek actually says word battles. Have you ever been in a word battle? I think you probably have, haven't you? Easy things to get into, easy to start. Sometimes they can be harmless or appear harmless, but sometimes they can go off course and escalate dangerously. Often people engage in word battles because they want to compete with someone else. They want to pick an argument to show their skills, show their intellect, show their eloquence. And often they have nothing to do with God and his glory. They want to be used as vehicles to magnify the skills of the people arguing. And as a teacher, that note to self, that's very easy to fall into that trap, picking arguments and showing off through them. That's not what should happen. They are not of any value in the way that this argument was of no value. This is a still from Monty Python. You may recognize Michael Palin, John Cleese. The argument clinic This is argument for entertainment. Michael Palin wants to be entertained. Arguments can get the blood coursing, the adrenaline going. People get excited. They like, sometimes they say they like a good argument. But Paul says, in the church, these are of no value. They are simply going to be destructive. And this argument wasn't of very much value. It cost him a pound in the 1970s for five minutes. What did he get? He got an argument about the word argument. They couldn't agree on what an argument was, and then the five minutes were up, and then they argued about whether five minutes had passed. It was of no value. It was simply a quarrel, a quarrel of words. And this is to be avoided in the church, quarrelling over words. Now, this took place in a private office. No one else was there. We see it because it's obviously a piece of entertainment. But quarrelling can be damaging to others. Don't engage in quarrelling over words. It's irresponsible. So quarrels can take place within group contexts, within churches, within home groups, within other teaching groups, and they can be dangerous. The Greek word for ruin is actually catastrophe with a K. That's a pretty strong word. They can end in ruin, catastrophe. People listening, witnessing them can be misled. It can lead to catastrophe. This is not what you want. Again, note to self, um, as a teacher I try to avoid Um, having quarrels with students. It made everybody feel uncomfortable. Also, I had to avoid having intellectual arguments with one person. What did the rest of the class do if I was bouncing off another student, just one other student? They went to sleep. They wandered off. So you have to be careful. Who is being glorified here? Is it me or is it God? Don't get distracted. Don't engage in quarrels, they are of no value, and they are destructive. And the word catastrophe uh, in the Greek reminded me of an early disagreement about words in Genesis 3. There was um, a bit of change of what God said and people disputing the word, and it led to a catastrophe, a catastrophe at the beginning of the Bible. Okay. Okay. Now, it's one thing to say don't do something, but I always find if you say don't, that often means people do, don't they? If you say don't touch that, they touch it, don't they? Don't you ever find that? Don't touch that kettle, people touch it. It's often better or more powerful to say what you should do. And this is what Paul now tells Timothy in chapter two, verse 15. Keep it straight. They have planning competitions. They I, I probably have them in Canada, don't they? Planning competitions. Not aware, they, they do exist around the world. Plowing straight fields is a thing. Plowing a straight field. This is what Paul wants Timothy to do. He says, model the correct way of handling scripture. Plow a straight furrow. Keep it straight, keep on message, be careful. Because you are going to stand before God, it says in verse 15. You're gonna be standing before God at the end of time and say, I cut a straight line. I kept to the message, I didn't veer off. So this, what Paul is saying to Timothy, act like a plow, plow person who plows a straight thorough or a road builder who builds a straight road. Okay? Seek to be approved by God. Don't plow to please other people. Plow to please God. That means keeping the message straight, keeping it scriptural. Don't go off message. Don't deviate off. Don't go off road. Keep it straight. Okay, here's an interesting statistic. Uh, one hour results in one minute. Or could it be one minute results in one hour? Last week, um, Bob gave a figure of 15 hours. Yeah, I think that's an average, hopefully. Um, I reckon when I've done an assembly or a talk or a sermon, for every minute I talk, I've probably spent an hour working on that minute. Occasionally, you could work this out. I don't know what time I started. You can tell me how many hours I put in, possibly, at the end. Um, It is possible to go the other way, though. I've seen um, teachers, and I've done this as a teacher, I've done one minute's preparation and delivered an hour's lesson. (laughs) I think you've been in those lessons, haven't you? Yeah, okay. Um, Not advisable. Not advisable. I'd much rather have a lesson where the teacher spent an hour on each minute. Lessons are not quite the same as um, talks, um, assemblies or sermons. But preparing and handling God's word is not a quick thing. It requires labour, like the labour in the field or the labour building the road. It takes time. The teacher, the leader, must devote time to the text to uncover its message, look at its context, understand the language being used, the structure of the message, how it fits in with the rest of the Bible, and how it should be applied to the people listening. This is not quick work. This is hard work. It's a privilege and a joy, but it is hard work. Okay. And Timothy, and anyone who preaches the word straight, must put that time in. It's not quick work. It is often, and annoyingly, God often doesn't show you the thing totally until about a day before you deliver it. You can't do it in advance. You can't store it away. Often, I find it comes late in the process that the final it finally fits together and everything is in the straight line so timothy handle the word correctly don't rush it put the work in And i found a very useful quote from a minister he says this gospel ministers are stewards not innovators custodians of the truth rather than the theological a theological innovator keep it straight Don't try and produce new arguments that aren't in the Bible. Don't try and come up with novelties to please people, what you think people might like to hear. Keep keep it straight. Keep God's approval. Not try to keep people's interest. So that's Jonathan Griffiths. He also said something else very important, which I'll mention as well, part of his book on this said the gospel should be presented in fresh and innovative ways but the message tolerates no modification so ministers are often thinking how do I communicate this today to this congregation this group so you can come up with new ways of presenting but the message must not be changed it must remain unmodified as God has given it to us So. Hard work Timothy, hard work, you've got to wrestle with the message, you've got to present it to the people in a way that they will understand. Clarity is needed and this is not quick. So having said what Timothy should do, he goes back to the rules of engagement. Timothy hopefully will be approved, but uh, you've got to keep away from, this reminds me of in the late 20th century there was this, It's quite rude, actually. Talk to the hand, because the head ain't listening. Do you ever ever hear that? Or did it just pass you by? I hope you didn't have it done to you. It's really quite a rude thing to say to somebody. Um, But Paul is saying to Timothy, don't get tied up with this type of teaching. Stay away from it. Avoid it. Shun it. Be polite, but do not engage. Do not engage in this teaching. Don't engage in this teaching because it's being done by bad workers that depart from the truth. And again, the language used here in the Greek is the idea of, uh, have done archery? Yeah? Have you ever missed the target? Where does your eye go if you miss the target? It goes with the arrow away from the target. The target is the gospel. People who teach error are shooting wide of the target and the people listening will follow they're teaching it away from the target. It gets further and further away. They get further and further away from the truth and they get into ungodliness. And Paul uses very strong language. It's like a very quick infection. It affects them quite quickly like gangrene and they're living in ungodliness. Keep away from the teaching of bad workers, those who depart from the truth of the gospel. And he names names, he names and shames. Quite unusual. But this guy actually, Hymenaeus, appears as well in 1 Timothy, if you want to look at that later. But uh, Hymenaeus and Philetus are innovators. They've taken the message and they haven't just thought about how to present it. They've actually changed the message. They've modified it, they've updated it, they think they're being advanced, they've been cutting edge, they're breaking new ground as theologians, but they have done error. They've said the resurrection of Christians has already taken place. Now, before Paul pulls me up on this, in one, sorry, in Colossians 3:1, it says, "We have been raised with Christ." That is true, but that is our status, not our state. We have been raised with Christ; our status and our standing before God is justified. But our state is here on earth at the present time. We have not been resurrected physically. But these guys are saying, "Resurrection has already happened." And you know, this is this may be new thinking, but you know, this is what we think, and this is the heresy. So that's an Ephesian heresy. Christian resurrection is not physical, it's purely spiritual. So that would mean Christians are already living in heaven on earth. Do you feel like you're living in heaven on earth? I take that to be no. Okay, why are we still suffering? If we're in heaven, why are we suffering? And so these guys were teaching this error, and this error was making people think, well, this doesn't feel like heaven to me. I don't think I want to be a Christian anymore. And the faith of some was destroyed. So, what should we do? I think we should remind ourselves of this. Where's this from? Which one? Correct. And this one is the, I love a bit of participation. Nicene Creed. Thank you, Nicene Creed. Okay, we we need to remind ourselves that there is a physical resurrection and the life everlasting. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. So, Remind yourself of the creed. They're, they're there. They help you into Scripture. They are scripturally based. They're not a substitute for Scripture, but they're a good summary to remind yourself of. We'll come back to that in a minute. Okay. So, Paul then says to Timothy, to help make these points about shunning, avoiding this false teaching, he uses two images of a building. Okay. He talks about a building with two inscriptions, and he's talking about. Um, Korah and the rebellion in Numbers, again, if you'd like to look at that later. This is where um, the Israelites rebel against God's chosen leaders of Noah. Not Noah, I'm going to say Moses and Aaron. No, where did Noah come from? It's Moses and Aaron are being challenged by the Israelites. They want to do things their way, and God crushes the rebellion. He reminds them in Numbers that he knows who he's appointed, who are his, and he tells the Israelites to move away from the group who want to rebel against his leaders. And this is what Paul is saying: move away from these leaders who are taking you away from the truth. And then he talks about um, these workers are not approved. He talks about the best china. Do you have best china? So you may keep it in a display case. My mother does. Do you mix it up with your pots and pans? No, you don't, you keep it separate, it's special. And in the church, there are two types of um, things, two types of uh, sort of articles. One that you've described as um, the good China and one that isn't. And again, Paul is saying, in the church there'll be teachers who are not teaching the right thing, but there will be teachers who do. And again, they must be kept separate. The good teachers teaching the truth are like fine sort of vessels. They are sanctified, they're useful to God. And they're ready to serve him. So again, there must be, within the visible church, there is a separation. God knows who the true teachers are and who are not. And you should keep away from the false teachers that might be in the church. So that's 20 verses 20 and 21. Okay, final thing is keep being kind. This is the last rule of engagement that Paul gives in this chapter. And he talks about, in chapter 2, verse 22, about uh, the youth. Flee from the evil desires of youth. Apparently, it's been a while since I was youth, but I believe youth are impatient. Anybody wishes to own that? Anyone of youthful age? You love new things, um, you love to get into arguments and disputes, and you could be ambitious. Paul says to Timothy, avoid these types of inclinations in your leadership, rather... Seek to be um, righteous, faithful, loving, and peaceful. And seek out the company of people who have a similar heart for God. And again, he says, don't engage in foolish and stupid arguments. But instead, gently instruct those who have these wrong ideas, these errors, and try and get them back on the straight path. Okay, Don't engage in arguments and quarrels but gently teach the truth. Seek to win over these opponents of the gospel and instruct them and seek to correct their error. And as such, you'll be God's instrument. It is God who gives the repentance. It is God who leads them back into the truth. These people are trapped. These false teachers are trapped in theological innovation. And as we saw earlier, probably the first theological innovation happened in Genesis 3 in the Garden of Eden. Seek to be useful to God, to seek to correct them, but keep your distance, don't get entangled with them, but still somehow, and we pray for wisdom on this, show them the error of their ways, gently instruct them. Okay, time for a takeaway. What are you having for lunch? What can we take away from this, um, this chapter? first thing is something that uh, has, I keep coming back to, it seems to be in every sermon I've done in the last few months. Pray for our Christian leaders and teachers. This came up in Judges, and it comes up now in Timothy. Pray for your leaders and teachers. It's the rules of engagement here are incredibly hard. Don't get too close to the false teachers and their ideas. Don't yourself be drawn into innovating on the gospel. Keep to the truth of the gospel. Don't be aggressive with them, but somehow seek to turn them round and guide them back to where they should be. A bit like Maverick was supposed to do in Top Gun. So this is what we should be praying for our leaders, and that they should continue to be workers approved by God and not by man. I've just shown you um, the hard work involved in plowing the straight field, building the straight road, not being tempted to innovate, not being tempted to seek the approval of men and women before God's approval, but at the same time to be able to present the gospel in a way that people understand and can apply to their lives without modifying it in any way. And at the same time, we're asking them not to get involved in quarrels. It is so easy to quarrel with people, especially if you're tired and you spend a lot of time working but you should pray for leaders to gently instruct those who are in error to come back to the truth, to wander, they wandered off, instruct them to come back to the truth. So we're praying for our leaders, but what about us? I think we should seek to know our scriptures and our creeds. We should be vigilant. We should spot any attempts at innovating on the the gospel message by any teacher or leader. And when we spot it, to be able to challenge it, refute it with scripture, and if necessary, preach. So, to Timothy 2, know the rules of engagement. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We do thank you for Paul and the way that he cared for Timothy and sought to help him in the... um, encounters he would have as a leader of your church spreading the gospel. We do pray for our church leaders. They are incredibly um, incredibly pressured in so many ways and they need to stay on the, the truth of your word and to at the same time gently um, instruct those who are seeking to um, change your word in a way that isn't gospel. So we do pray for our leaders. We do pray for us that we would also seek to um, know your word, know the truth and live by it in a way that glorifies you. In Jesus' name. Amen.